to Prime Minister's questions. Number one, Richard Graham. Number one, sir. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. It is now two years to the day since a chemical weapon was deployed by Russian military intelligence on the streets of Salisbury. All our thoughts remain with those affected, their families and loved ones. Uh, we will continue to seek justice for them. But I'm pleased to say that two years on, Salisbury is back on its feet, focused firmly on the future and welcoming visitors with open arms. Now, Mr. Speaker, I'm sure this House will want to pay tribute to the people of Salisbury and Amesbury and wish them well for the future. Mr Speaker, this morning I have meetings with Minister and colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. As the Government prepares the nation for the worst of coronavirus while working for the best, now is the time to wash our hands and pull together. So does the Prime Minister agree that we need a robust plan in place to cover any significant cash flow losses of businesses? so that employees and their mortgages, rents and benefits will still be paid? Will the Treasury consider delaying, if need be, VAT and PAYE collection? And does the Prime Minister agree with me that, come what may, as we saw during the devastating floods in Gloucester of 2007 and elsewhere recently, that Britain will find the strength, perhaps aided by a cup of not necessarily Yorkshire tea, to pull through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, my right honourable friend is, in, is entirely right. We're, of course, monitoring the situation closely and are prepared to support individuals, businesses, and the economy to maintain economic uh, confidence, uh, quite rightly. And uh, our action plan, our battle plan, points to mitigations that already exist, such as uh, HMRC's time to pay, uh, which is there on a case-by-case -case basis to support firms struggling with payments. The opposition, Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will join me in congratulating the Prime Minister and his partner on the news that they're expecting a baby. Yeah. And I also join the Prime Minister in wishing the people of Salisbury well. It's a wonderful city. I've visited it many times. And, of course, what happened to them was utterly appalling, and their safety and security is paramount for all of us. I also want to pay tribute to all the medical staff and, indeed, expert public servants here and overseas who are doing the vital work to combat the spread of coronavirus and looking after those affected. Yesterday, our part-time Prime Minister finally... Finally, finally published the steps that his government will take to tackle the outbreak of the disease. And the strategy broadly has our support. But a decade of Tory austerity means, means our National Health Service is already struggling to cope. Bed occupancy levels are at 94% and hundreds of our most vulnerable people are being treated on trolleys in corridors. What additional funding will our overstretched and underfunded NHS be given to deal with this crisis? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, as the Right Honourable Gentleman knows, uh, this Government has put in record funding into the NHS, uh, and uh, we've pledged that we will give them everything uh, they need to cope with the crisis. I think it might be for the advantage of the Right Honourable Gentleman and the House if I update the House on uh, where we are with the coronavirus outbreak. And uh, as yesterday's plan made clear, uh, we are not at the point yet where we are asking 
large numbers of people to self-isolate. But uh, that, of course, may come if large numbers of people have the symptoms of coronavirus. And if they stay at home, the House will understand that they are helping to protect all of us by slowing the spread of the virus. And that's what the best scientific evidence tells us. If they stay at home, and if we ask people to self-isolate, they may lose out financially. So I can today announce that the Health Secretary will bring forward, as part of our emergency coronavirus legislation, measures to allow the payment of statutory sick pay from the very first day you were sick instead of four days under the current rules. And I think that's the right way forward. Nobody uh, should be, be penalised, Mr Speaker, for doing the right thing. Mr Speaker, I thank the Prime Minister for that, but I want to ask him a couple of more questions on this subject. Is it, is it true, as has been reported, that police forces are likely to become so overstretched by coronavirus that 999 response times will have to be extended and that even investigations into some murders will have to be halted as a result of this? Well, well, Mr Speaker, we are not at uh, that stage or anything like that stage, yet uh, our, our police forces, he knows, uh, our police forces are well able to cope with all types of eventualities and uh, they have long-standing arrangements to prepare them for such pressures. Mr Speaker, under this government there are two million workers on low pay, many of them women in the care sector, who are not eligible for statutory sick pay at the present time. The Prime Minister's statement just now does not, it's not clear whether it covers them or not. And those on Social Security could face sanctions if they miss appointments and therefore they and their families will face terrible hardship. When the Prime Minister brings forward the emergency legislation, will he guarantee that workers' right to sick pay from day one, as he's just indicated, will apply on statutory sick pay, will apply to all claimants and those people that are not currently eligible for statutory sick pay, therefore will have to make a terrible choice between health and hardship? Well, uh, the, the Right Honourable Gentleman is raising uh, a very important point, and of course we are very much aware of the issues faced by the self-employed on those on, on zero-hours contracts. So I should stress that some of them uh, will be entitled to statutory sick pay, others, uh, a, great, a great many, others will be entitled to help through the existing system such as universal credit. And we are... We are, urgently, we are urgently looking at the application process to reflect on the advice on self-isolation. But I, 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 you know, I, I think the, the members of the public have appreciated the way uh, hitherto that I think the members have come together across the floor of this House to deal with this crisis. And I think it would be common ground between us all that we want to do everything we can to avoid penalising those who are doing the right thing. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is not being clear about this. The reality is, if you're on universal credit or just put onto it, you've got a five-week wait before you get any benefits. Will he be absolutely clear that nobody, nobody, will have to choose between health and hardship? Because it's a matter of public health concern for everybody. 
Our, Mr Speaker, our part-time Prime Minister... ..failed to turn up on Monday... ..failed to turn up on Monday to answer a question about a breach of the Ministerial Code. In his own foreword to that code, the Prime Minister wrote, there must be no bullying and no harassment. Will he now commit to an independent investigation into the Home Secretary's conduct, led by an external lawyer, and commit to a date when its findings will be made public? Uh, Mr Speaker, of course though it's right that uh, there should be an investigation into any allegations of bullying. That's what the Cabinet Office is doing. That's what Sir Alex Allen will of course be doing. But I just remind him, since he mentions uh, the Home Secretary, that she is keeping this country safe by putting in record numbers of police officers. She believes in stopping the early release of offenders and she's she's bringing in a system to tackle our migration crisis with an Australian-style points-based system. He would scrap he would scrap stop and search. Uh, he, he believes in getting rid of our security services, and he certainly wouldn't uh, tackle our immigration system, Mr. Speaker. Jeremy Corbyn. It's about whether he will release the findings of an investigation into the Home Secretary's behaviour. I repeat to him, a government cannot be judge and jury over its own conduct. There has to be an independent element to that investigation. Overnight, Mr Speaker, further allegations have emerged that the Home Secretary repeatedly harassed and humiliated her private secretary while she ran the Department for International Development. If this is true, this suggests a shocking and unacceptable pattern of behaviour across three government departments. On each occasion, tens of thousands of pounds of hard-earned taxpayers' money has been spaffed up the wall to buy their silence. Was the Prime Minister aware of these allegations? And if he was, why did he appoint her? Mr Speaker, I, I'm not really going to repeat the point I just made. The Home Secretary is doing an outstanding job. I have every, I have every confidence in her. Uh, if, if there are allegations, of course it is right that they should be properly investigated by the Cabinet Office, and that is what is happening. But I take no lessons about bullying, Mr Speaker, from the leader, leader of a party uh, where female MPs were bullied so badly in the matter of anti-Semitism, they actually left the party, and where, and where the Shadow Chancellor has still not apologised for his call for a member of our party to be lynched. The Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister said if there are allegations. Is he completely unaware of all the allegations that have been made over the last few days? Is he completely unaware of the resignation of a permanent secretary because of his treatment by the Home Secretary? Mr Speaker, we have a part-time Prime Minister who barely turns up but is determined to cover up for bullies in his government. There can't be one rule for workers across this country and another one for him and his ministers. When his Home Secretary has been accused of repeated bullying and harassment, leading to hard-working staff attempting suicide by overdose, he gave her his full support. How can the people of this country have faith in a Prime Minister who can't be bothered to turn up, and when he does, has no shame 
in defending bullying in his own government. Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, that is the question from a, a, uh, a full-time neo-Marxist who's, <laughs> who's, who's, who's failed to stamp out bullying in his own party. And actually, I'm, I'm very proud, as I say, of the record uh, of this government just over the last 82 days. Uh, we've uh, taken back control of our borders, our laws and our money. We've got Brexit done. Uh, we've set out a new, a new points-based immigration system. We've put more money into people's pockets through the biggest ever increase in the living wage. Uh, We've guaranteed more funding for schools by increasing the minimum funding uh, for, uh, for, for every pupil. We've restored the nurses' bursary, introduced a bill to set a record cash boost for our NHS, and ensured there will be a free hospital car parking for everybody who attends a hospital. And we're delivering gigabit broadband for the entire country. That's just to say nothing of the police that we're recruiting, Mr. Speaker. That's just in the last 82 days. We're getting on with delivering the people's priorities. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, my constituents in East Surrey care enormously about climate change. Would my right honourable friend agree that yesterday's news that the UK carbon emissions have been reduced by a third over the last 10 years is a fantastic and important Conservative achievement? And will he set out his plans to continue this progress? Uh, I, I will indeed. I thank my honourable friend. We are, I will today chair the first ever Cabinet Committee on Climate Change uh, in recognition of this Government's uh, revolutionary commitment to uh, cut to net zero by 2050, one of the many ways in which the Government is leading Europe and the world in tackling climate change. In Blackfoot. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And like the Prime Minister, I note the two-year anniversary of the terrible attack in Salisbury, and it's important on these matters and other crisis that we face, such as coronavirus, where appropriate that we do stand together. Mr Speaker, coronavirus is causing deep and genuine concern across society. We know that up to 80% of the population are at risk of infection. All of us must provide clear, calm and practical leadership in the days, weeks and months ahead. In the past few days, Scotland's First Minister, the Scottish Government and the Westminster Government have been working closely together to put plans in place to protect all of our people. Yesterday, the Governor of the Bank of England suggested a financial bridge may be available to assist markets through any volatility. If there is a financial bridge for markets, can the Prime Minister tell us will there be a financial bridge for all workers and indeed those that rely on benefits that should not risk the threat of sanction if they can't make appointments. Yeah. Well, I, I thank the right honourable gentleman for the excellent cooperation that uh, Scotland, and indeed all the, the devolved administrations, have given in preparing the, the battle plan. And, and yes, and ready to recapitulate my answer to the right honourable gentleman, uh, we will take every uh, make take every step that we can to ensure that businesses are protected, that the economy uh, remains strong, and that uh, no one, uh, whether employed or self-employed, uh, whatever the status of their employment, is penalised for doing the right thing. Blackfoot. Well, I, th- I thank the, the Prime Minister for that answer, and I commit my party and our government in Scotland to work constructively together. Of course, people are worried about their health, but there are millions of workers who are worried about the consequences for their incomes, their job securities and their families. What I do ask is that the Prime Minister give specific guarantees and certainly we will work together with the SNP in pushing for emergency legislation, but clarification that all workers will be fully protected from the first day of sickness 
and that those payments should be up to the level of the real living wage. Yeah, 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 yeah. An emergency legislation to guarantee that staff that are asked to self-isolate and their businesses are fully supported. That is the leadership that is required and I ask if the Prime Minister will commit himself to working constructively with all of us to that end. Yeah. Well, again, and I, 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 again, I thank the right honourable gentleman for the spirit in which he, he raises the question. He will have seen from my uh, earlier answer that what we are indeed doing is advancing the, the day uh, on, a, on a temporary basis, advancing the day uh, by which you are eligible for statutory sick pay from the, from the four, sick, sick pay from the uh, fourth day uh, to the first day. I think that is the, the right thing. And again, I repeat, uh, we will support business. We will make sure that we keep the economy strong. No one should be penalised uh, for doing the right thing. And I'm sure that uh, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, will be happy to uh, engage you with further conversations uh, with him about the detail of how we propose to do that. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, tomorrow is St. Piran's Day, when Cornish men and women around the world will be celebrating our national saint and all things Cornish. St. Piran is also the patron saint of tin mining, but mining is not just something assigned to Cornish history. Is the Prime Minister aware that significant deposits of lithium have been identified in Cornwall, which provides the opportunity of levelling up the Cornish economy and providing the UK with a domestic supply of this critical mineral? Will the Prime Minister commit his government to enabling Cornwall to make the most of this opportunity and wish all Cornish men and women a happy St Piran's Day? Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. This country, as my honourable friend knows, leads the world in battery technology, and it is a wonderful thing uh, that Cornwall is indeed uh, both, one, uh, both extensive resources of uh, lithium, and uh, we mean to exploit them. I know that he is, there is no more passionate champion of Cornwall. I wish him a happy St. Piran's Day and Kerno Bisvicken, uh, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week's historic judgment against Heathrow expansion found that his government broke the law by ignoring the Paris Climate Agreement and by breaching its own sustainable development duty to future generations when it drafted the airport's national policy statement. Will the Prime Minister tell the House today precisely how many of the government's other national policy statements have been assessed against the Paris Climate Agreement and will he commit right now to reviewing and, if necessary, revising all of those which have not. Um, I, I thank the Right Honourable Lady. She can take it that we will ensure that uh, we abide by the, the judgment and make sure that we take account of the Paris Convention on Climate Change, but I do not believe for one second that that would be the impediment uh, to our delivery of an infrastructure revolution across this country. John Bailey. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, communities like mine in West Bromwich West are grateful for this government's commitment to 366 police officers for the West Midlands. Or would my right honourable friend reaffirm that, unlike the Labour PCC, who's decimating communities like mine in Tipton with the closure of our police station, that it's this government who's committed to keep our communities safe through investment in the police and tougher sentences for the criminals that are ruining the lives of my constituents in Tipton? And that is precisely why my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, is, is working so hard to recruit 20,000 more police officers uh, to enhance stop and search powers. And that's why we've set out plans to build more prisons and keep violent and sexual offenders in prison for longer. Mr. Speaker, and I'm delighted that the West Midlands, thanks partly to his lobbying, uh, has re is receiving another 366 police officers. But 
I note that in the interests of public safety, the government has taken emergency measures to rush through legislation to ensure that those convicted of terrorist offences serve their full sentences. Given the far smaller conviction rate and far more substantial rate of reoffending for those convicted of sexual offences, will the Prime Minister commit to a wider sentencing review so that communities can rest assured that sex offenders who pose a threat to children and women are serving their full sentences to ensure their rehabilitation? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, can I uh, congratulate the Honourable Lady on what she has just said, which I think may have come as a bit of a bombshell to some of her colleagues, but she's entirely, she is entirely, perhaps on the front bench at any rate, she is entirely entirely right and that is that is what we are, are doing uh, as, as I said in my earlier answers thank you mr. speaker can I ask my right honorable friend if he commits to making sure that Blythe Valley benefits from the government's ambition to unite and level up across this fantastic country I, I, I can indeed mr. speaker and uh, I can indeed mr. speaker and that's why we're supporting the Ashington to Blythe to Tyne rail line uh, and uh, the start of our final £1 million investment in connecting towns whose stations were closed during the beaching cuts, amongst many other benefits that we are going to bring to the people of Blythe. I thank him for his support. We are going to repay the trust and confidence of those people uh, by investing in their communities. Inbound. Mr Speaker, Carbon Homes, a registered social landlord, has over 30,000 homes in the north and northeast. Detailed research that they have conducted shows that the five-week delay in universal credit payments ensures that many families amass huge rent arrears before receiving anything and are trapped in debt for years. 72% of their tenants on universal credit are now in significant rent arrears, over half of them technically destitute. The Prime Minister's mantra that work is the route out of poverty is true only if there are jobs that are full-time, permanent yeah. and decently paid. Yeah. When will the Prime Minister going to stop this deliberate policy of inflicting impoverishment and destitution on tenants of the carbon homes and other registered social landlords in the North East? Well, Mr Speaker, I'm happy to study the particular case that he, he raises, but I, uh, uh, Universal Credit is uh, available from day one, and I, and I, stick, and I, stick, firmly, I stick firmly to my belief that the best, route, the best route out of poverty is not benefits but work and it is, I think, the, the, what we have achieved with this government is record low unemployment and record gains in employment across the country and wages are now rising. Wages, they don't want to hear it, Mr Speaker, but the truth is wages are now rising for the low paid as well. Uh, Mr Speaker, last Thursday, at the dead of night, the Prime Minister made a secret visit to Kettering General Hospital. No media entourage, this was no photo call. He'd come to listen. He listened to staff. He listened to patients. And he left at 3.30am. And Mr Speaker, one patient said, I thought Boris was a bit of a dopey bloke who doesn't really know what's going on. But he was a lovely bloke and actually caring to all other patients. Prime Minister, what did you learn from your listening visit? I, 
I learned what a wonderful, what a wonderful staff we have in, in the NHS, and I'm delighted to say that Kettering General Hospital NHS Foundation will receive £3.7 million seed funding uh, for a full redevelopment, in addition to the £46 million uh, that we are now putting in to their urgent care hub. This is the party of the NHS yeah. delivering, delivering on the people's priorities in Kettering and across the country. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. For the purpose of clarity, if the Cabinet Office inquiry into allegations that the Home Secretary breached the ministerial code establishes that her conduct fell below the standard expected of a government minister, in any way and on any occasion, can the Prime Minister confirm that she would be expected to resign or be removed from office? Mr. Speaker, I, I return to the point I made earlier, which is that the Home Secretary is doing an outstanding job delivering, delivering change putting police out on the streets, cutting crime and delivering a new immigration system, and I'm sticking by her. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Having knocked on doors across Stafford in my constituency, it is clear that the A&E at County Hospital is a vital local service. So does the Prime Minister agree with me that A&E units at medium-sized hospitals like County are essential for the future delivery of care in our NHS? Uh, Mr Speaker, the Health Secretary, my right honourable friend, has just told me, uh, passing the ball swiftly down the line, that yes, uh, her A&E is certainly staying open. I thank her for the the point that she makes. Resignation of an experienced civil servant. Yeah. Go on, sacking, sacking of a government aide. With this government, it seems that allegations of bullying or just being incompetent get you promoted, whereas standing up to it, you lose your job. What does this say about this Prime Minister? Mr. Speaker, I, I, I loathe bullying, but I'm not taking any lessons. I'm not taking any lessons from a party, from a party that has uh, presided over systematic bullying and discrimination uh, against those who stick up for the Jewish community, community and for Israel in this country. And we've still yet to hear a proper apology from the Labour Party, from the Labour leadership, for what they've done. Taliban have resumed their attacks in Afghanistan and today the US have undertaken defensive airstrikes, undermining the fragile peace deal which will see the release of thousands of prisoners and the continued export of opium to extremism. Does my right honourable friend share my concerns that no peace deal can bypass the Afghan government and give me his assurances that we will stand shoulder to shoulder with Afghan women who have already lost their lives just to fight for dignity under Taliban rule. Uh, we, we of course uh, stand shoulder to shoulder with the government of Ashraf Ghani and, uh, and, and, she, and she is right, by the way, in what she says about uh, women in Afghanistan. It is one of the great achievements of this country, uh, despite all the sacrifices uh, that we experienced in, uh, in the, op- the operations in Helmand, that millions of women in Afghanistan uh, were helped into education thanks to the interventions of this country and we can be very proud of what we did. Hello. Colonel Monaghan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. We're all becoming increasingly concerned about COVID-19, the coronavirus, but every week 650 of us come here from every part of the UK, spend several days operating in close proximity and meeting people from all over the world. We then return to our constituencies, potentially becoming the very vectors 
that we are trying to shut down. Parliament must stay open, but what plans does the Prime Minister have to utilise systems such as conference calls and electronic voting to ensure that we do not become part of the problem? Well, uh, Mr Speaker, she's raising a very important point and uh, the Chief Medical Officer and the Chief Scientific Advisor, uh, together with my Honourable Friend the Health Secretary, will be uh, saying a little bit more in the next couple of days about what we are going to do to delay uh, the advance of uh, coronavirus and, and, uh, in Parliament and in other large gatherings. And I think, it, I think uh, we're still at the containment stage. Uh, she will understand the distinction that the government is, is making. When we come to the delay phase, uh, she will be hearing a lot more detail about uh, what we propose to do with large gatherings and places such as Parliament. My constituent Tom Channon was just 18 years old when he tragically died at the Eden Rock complex in Mallorca in July 2018. This was an incident that was totally preventable and avoidable. It came just five weeks after Tom Hughes from Wrexham fell to his death at the same site in similar circumstances. Nothing had been done to make the site safe. An independent surveyor's report has pointed to serious health and safety deficiencies. Tom's parents, John and Kerry Channon, have been campaigning for a criminal case to be brought against those responsible. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, use all his influence to press the Spanish authorities to pursue a criminal prosecution that will not only seek justice for Tom, but would also send a clear message to other accommodation owners in Mallorca to prevent similar tragedies occurring in the future. Well, I, th I thank my right honourable friend very much for raising what sounds like a, an appalling case. And uh, I can certainly say that, uh, and I'm sure the whole House will join with me in expressing our deepest sympathies to uh, Tom's family and friends and uh, to get justice uh, for Tom, uh, to seek justice for Tom, uh, I am very happy to ask the, the Foreign Office uh, to begin talks first with him and then of course with their Spanish counterparts. Mr Speaker, last month a young man from my constituency was fatally stabbed and just this weekend another young man was stabbed in Coventry. Violent crimes in the city is rising, yet I only have 10 police officers in my constituency, some of which I share with my Coventry colleagues. Seeing as the Prime Minister made such a big deal about his 20,000 new police officers, can he tell my constituents whether we are going to get our fair share? Yes, well, uh, the, the, the Honourable Lady is absolutely right to raise the issue of stabbings and violent crime, which I agree with her are too high and, and must come down. That's one of the reasons why we're increasing the number of police officers in this country. And as she, as she will have heard in the House just now, in the West Midlands, that number is, is going up by 366 immediately. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will be aware that due to coronavirus, demand for air travel has decreased around the world. Is he aware that due to slot allocation rules or our perverse incentives on airlines to fly half-empty planes around the globe so as not to lose those particular lucrative slots? Will he seek a derogation for UK airlines from these international rules, if only for the sake of the environment? Uh, well, my, my honourable friend raises a characteristically brilliant point, which I, I, I confess uh, that is, is, hasn't been drawn to my attention so far, uh, but I, I, will, I, I will look at what he is saying. It certainly seems crazy that planes should be uh, flying simply uh, to retain the slots to which they are entitled, and, and we will see what we can do. Liz Campbell. 
The Prime Minister promised on the steps of Downing Street to fix the crisis in social care. <coughs> we need an extra 580,000 care workers, not to improve services, but just fill existing vacancies and meet the basics of growing demand. Even if the government funds increases in the pay and status of carers, where on earth are we going to find all these extra staff when EU workers will be excluded under his new immigration system? Yeah. Our and the NHS depend on... Order! Order! I make the decisions. Please, we want shorter questions. No, just finish. When I get up, please give way. Very quickly. Will he meet with me to discuss a special migration route into social care to stop the current crisis getting even worse? Uh, well, I don't know quite what she means by excluding EU workers, Mr Speaker, since uh, there, are, there are record numbers of EU workers uh, currently in this country, and indeed uh, uh, more, can come, more can come until the end of the year uh, when, they, when they can register. And uh, I have every confidence that we will uh, solve the issue of social care. We will be bringing uh, forward plans very shortly, which I hope will attract cross-party support uh, to make sure that everybody, everybody gets the dignity that they need in, in old age and nobody is forced to sell their home. St John Hayes. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, my right honourable friend with uh, righteous zeal has acted to curb the early release of terrorist prisoners, but he must know that those plans will put at risk by malign uh, bourgeois liberal judicial activists. So will he, in the spirit of our wonderful new Attorney General, urge an urgent review of the legislative means they use to do their work to put our people at risk and the government's plans in jeopardy? Well, uh, Mr Speaker, it, it is certainly true uh, that I, the, I think that uh, people have been let out far too early, far too often. And that's why we're not only uh, looking now into stopping the early release of serious sexual and violent offenders, but that's why we have already produced legislation to stop the early release, Mr Speaker, of terrorist offenders. Geoffrey Donaldson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware of continuing concerns in Northern Ireland amongst business about the Northern Ireland Protocol. Will the Prime Minister agree to meet with a cross-party delegation of Members of Parliament representing Northern Ireland and business representatives to discuss with us his commitment to maintain unfettered access to the UK market for Northern Ireland business? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, I have no uh, difficulty at all making such a, an undertaking because, after all, uh, it is very clear from the protocol that unfettered access for Northern Ireland will continue. Order. 